In response to mild media criticism of the slow vaccine rollout, Prime Minister Morrison has produced a plan to transition to open borders. It's a clever plan that did the trick. Under this clever plan, and in time, only some of us, the great washed or the vaccinated, will be allowed to travel in and out of Australia and avoid the draconian restrictions of the last year and a half. And mainstream media keep stumm as they take the great cash bonanza of vaccine advertising. What human rights? What deaths? What adverse effects? What early treatment? Unfortunately, Scott Morrison's plan won't help even the vaccinated. Dr Peter McCullough is an eminent medical advisor and professor of medicine. Peter, great to see you once again. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, PM Morrison has outlined a four-step program to transition from lockdowns and border restrictions that rely entirely on the success of vaccinations and boosters. What are your thoughts on the plan from a medical perspective? Well, there's two factors to consider. One is the type of vaccine that one would choose to volunteer for, and also the strains or the blend of different viral mutants that you have at the time. What we know is that Pfizer and Moderna originally, with the uh, earlier strains of the virus, were about 90% effective over two months. But AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson were less effective, about 70%. And then certain strains, like the South African strain or the beta variant, the uh, effectiveness was only about 50% or so. So now enter the Delta variant. The Delta variant is rapidly becoming the dominant variant worldwide, about 90% of UK cases, about 30% of US cases, and will rapidly supplant all the other strains in Australia. We know with the Delta case now that none of the vaccines are effective. Does this plan actually increase the prospects for ongoing restrictions or does it pave the way for vaccine mandates and vaccine passports? I think the vaccine mandates and passports are very problematic, again, because the vaccines simply don't work well enough. And so we know that patients who have been vaccinated, in fact, may carry the virus to others. There was a recent report this weekend from Houston, Texas, where a fully vaccinated wedding, a family wedding took place, and out of the wedding came six cases of the Delta variant. But the Delta variant, again, it's, it's resistant to the forms of vaccination, about 42% of all 90,000 cases that they've sequenced in the UK, 17th uh, briefing, basically were the Delta variant. 42% of those were fully vaccinated and got Delta anyway. So we're going to see this happening over time. But fortunately, Delta has the lowest mortality, 0.8% for those sick enough to be captured or hospitalized with Delta variant, as opposed to 1.9% for the Alpha variant or the UK variant. So Delta is going to happen. The vaccine program is not going to work. And it's very easily treatable for high-risk patients over age 50 with medical problems. Now, with the lifting of external border restrictions, can Australia expect an explosion of cases due to the low herd immunity? Uh, That's herd immunity, sorry. Or does the population have greater immunity than we originally thought? Well, we simply don't know in Australia. I would uh, expect that Australia still has a large susceptible population. I opined a few days ago about the Tokyo Olympics 
And there, again, Japan has had uh, a very low rate of overall COVID. They also have a low rate of vaccination. Remember, the Japanese have quite a lot of discernment. They have an elderly population, uh, but only about 18% have volunteered for the vaccine. And I think appropriately so, given the concerns regarding really all the vaccines that exist on the market today. Uh, But as individuals start moving across Australia, you have very large states People are still very distanced. You don't have crowded conditions except in your big cities. I think transmission will be low and and Australians can get back to their normal walk of life provided they have early treatment for those Delta cases, which are going to happen, who present in elderly individuals with uh, multiple medical problems. Early treatment still, it's got that big, big taboo on it. Don't talk about early treatment. So we have to get over that first of all, don't we? Well, it's been heavily uh, levered on hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, but we know now in the United States, we have monoclonal antibodies, one by Regeneron, one by GlaxoSmithKline, we can infuse in clinics or in the emergency room or senior center. We know that use of doxycycline or zithromycin are helpful. Those should be easy to prescribe. And importantly, inhaled budesonide, oral prednisone, oral colchicine, aspirin, 325 milligrams a day, and then for high-risk patients, injectable blood thinners work just fine. So even if hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are off the table for Australian medicine, which is the case in South Africa and some places in South America, you know what? It's still treatable with a program of multiple drugs to try to reduce viral replication, handle the inflammation, and then control blood clotting. We're learning that vaccinated people can still be infected with the virus, and in some countries, infection amongst the vaccinated is rising. What's the latest on this? Well, as we mentioned, uh, the 17th issue of the variant report from the UK, June 25th, 2021, there was 90,000 patients with the Delta uh, variant. 42% were fully vaccinated, and they use uh, largely Pfizer, Moderna, or AstraZeneca in the UK. So it's clear those three vaccines do not work against Delta. We've had a report now out of Peru that even a more um, extended variant called the Lambda variant, which now has seven mutational changes in the spike protein and the one in one of the uh, nuclear uh, proteins, there the Lambda variant basically arose because of the use of the Sinovac vaccine. So the Sinovac vaccine is a whole virus that's killed and was administered in 70% of patients. And in a a very critical paper by Acevedo and colleagues, basically demonstrated that the vaccine is what caused the mutant strain to arise. So vaccines, in a sense, are backfiring on us. Okay, just imagine if you were the, uh, the head of all these uh, medical authorities and health authorities around the world, and they said to, uh, to you, Peter, we want you to save the world. What would you do? Well, I do a few things I think would simplify life a lot. No asymptomatic testing, no routine testing. Only testing for those who are acutely sick. And I mean testing with the nasal PCR or oral PCR or the antigen testing. Only for sick individuals. As of June 25th, World Health Organization agrees. World Health Organization says no more asymptomatic testing. That means no testing for travel, no testing for sports teams, schools, or in the workplace. This is very, very important. So that would simplify things greatly. Clearly, Australia needs an early treatment program. So there needs to be some type of brief manual of what Australians should do in terms of nutraceuticals and supplements. How do they risk stratify? Those at low risk simply can ride out the virus and then return with natural immunity to the workplace or in school. and They're in great shape. Once there's natural immunity, 
there's no chance of a second infection. Natural immunity is one and done. It's robust, complete, and durable. High-risk patients over age 50 should get into a sequence multi-drug approach. In Australia, you should have monoclonal antibodies available. Again, ours are Regeneron and GlaxoSmithKline. Uh, there are drugs available. Uh, favipiravir is available in your area of the world. You can use favipiravir like oral remdesivir or hydroxychloroquine or, dox or um, ivermectin with antibiotics, and then we move into the steroids, anti-inflammatories, and blood thinners, but they should really only be applied in seniors and high-risk individuals. Others can breeze through Delta without a problem. Yeah, it's interesting. The, um, the uh, commercials these days, uh, notably in Australia, to inform the public on a health risk, um, it's just been ramped up. In fact, you've seen one of our latest commercials, which um, I think Freddy Krueger wanted to be in, uh, a, a terrible... <laughs> Just a dreadful piece of uh, propaganda or advertising from um, the government to promote uh, vaccines and vaccinations. You've seen that one. Tell us uh, from a medical perspective the reality of that video. Well, I'm a professor of medicine. I'm an editor of two major journals. I've published as much on COVID-19 than any doctor in the world. But I also see patients as part of my practice and take care of COVID-19 patients. I can tell you COVID patients that are that young don't have those symptoms. Number one, they breeze through it with a mild cold. A young woman like that would breeze through with some mild nasal congestion for a few days and be over it. But what can happen in young people is when they take the vaccine, particularly those women ages 18 to 48, and she's in that range, they can develop life-threatening blood clots. And a life-threatening blood clot that shoots to the lungs can cause someone to look just like what you saw in that picture, extremely short of breath and extremely anxious. So I would look at that video and say, you know what, that's not COVID-19. That's actually a complication of the vaccine. I've just actually, I heard a clunk. I just heard uh, our prime minister fall off his chair and hopefully he'll be okay. If you know of a good doctor, please let us know. Uh, for those electing not to receive boosters, now should these people be regarded as vaccinated or unvaccinated? Well, we have a split in the United States. Recently, Pfizer uh, announced that it wanted to have a booster program since we know that, for instance, the Delta variant is going right past the Pfizer vaccine without any problems. And so I assume that they would try to adjust the vaccine in order to try to cover additional variants. But the CDC disagrees. And the CDC, uh, the first crack in this uh, vaccine alliance that we've seen in the United States has occurred. And so we'll have to see how boosters go. One of the things that listeners should know is with each successive vaccination, the reactions get more severe. So from the first one to the second one, it's 80 times worse for the messenger RNA vaccines in terms of swollen arms, lymph nodes, complications. And the complications can include uh, fever, chills, nausea, vomiting, immediate death within 48 hours for in 50%, and then about 80% if they're going to die, die within a week. And then this array of neurologic, cardiac, uh, uh, thrombotic, as well as immunologic complications. In the United States, we have nearly 400,000 safety reports, over 9,100 individuals who have died, and 21,000 hospitalized. There's never been a set of biologic products like this that's caused this great of a wave of safety events, extremely concerning to Americans. And our CDC has yet to have its first press briefing on overall product safety. You would think now, if, just imagine if you and I go back, say, 20 years, uh, you would have been about 10 then. I mean, well, maybe a bit older, but uh, go back 20 years. This would have been major headlines that we've had so many deaths and so many hospitalizations from 
from these vaccines, but you don't hear a thing about how bad they can be. It's stunning. Uh, you know, we hear about vaccine injuries every day in our practice. People are talking about it. Almost everybody knows somebody who's either been died or been hospitalized or severely, severely injured with the vaccine. And in the United States, the vaccine centers have pretty much wound down and been empty now uh, since mid-April. Vaccine center that I go past every day to work has been closed. They put barricades out on the driveways now. It's basically the vaccination is program is over. With the United States, we have 48% of individuals vaccinated, and the push is tremendous. They have announced that uh, incredible inducements, million-dollar raffles, free college tuition, huge bonuses for flight attendants. And now the most recent thing is they're going door-to-door making a census, and Americans want to know, should they open the door or should they not answer it. Yeah, it's a bit worrying when they come around to talk to you about the vaccine and they're dressed in jungle greens and carrying in maybe an M16 or something. I mean, that's sort of an encouragement, but not the sort you want. Well, if the vaccine was so good for you and it was so healthy, uh, we wouldn't have to go to these measures. Everyone knows the vaccines are not safe. Everyone knows the vaccines don't work. And I think the public's coming to a point where uh, enough is enough. And what people are going to say is, listen, it's my body. It's my choice and that the vaccine stakeholders just simply need to stand down. Would you recommend boosters? I know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway, because it leads into my next question. So would you recommend boosters? Well, we take boosters for hepatitis B as an example. We take boosters for um, uh, other forms of illnesses. And uh, I'm up to date on all my vaccines. Probably you are. I've taken two vaccines this year, one for influenza, one for, uh, for shingles. And I think individuals who are vaccinated could look at a booster provided it's safe. And the one that's emerging that probably is safe and effective is by a company called Novavax. Mm. And that is an antigen-based vaccine. There's no genetics involved, no messenger RNA or adenoviral DNA. And it's simply the body responds to the spike protein in a limited amount just like a tetanus shot. So if Novavax comes forward, I think one could look forward to in a high-risk senior, someone at risk, maybe a nursing home worker, to take a booster. But it ought to be very narrowly applied. Mm. Do you think the situation will change maybe on early treatments or do you expect uh, maybe more people will elect to use them as the information spreads on their effectiveness? Well, I think we've had capitulation in the United States. We see now a broad acceptance of early treatment. We have 200 supportive studies of hydroxychloroquine, 60 supportive studies for ivermectin, uh, literally meta-analyses for steroids, a huge clinical trial supporting colchicine, supportive data for aspirin and blood thinners, and a randomized trial for inhaled budesonide. We are about as good as we are with the evidence. We know that a single drug doesn't work, and we have to put them into combination. And probably one of the best things for Australia is for your government bodies to simply get out of the way. Uh, they, they're not helpful giving recommendations that say do not do something. They should just get out of the way, let doctors be doctors. The Australian doctors are terrific. I've been to Australia. I've lectured at some of the best medical schools that you have there, Mike. And you know what? Australian doctors are fine. If the government gets out of the way, let the doctors handle the problem. Home treatment guide, sequence multidrug therapy. It's really game over for COVID-19. Yeah, big question, though. Uh, we're, we're this island at the moment. Uh, New Zealand uh, are in the same boat. And we only allow a couple of thousand to come into the country or to leave the country. Um, the, you, know, you saw the Prime Minister's uh, plan to lead us out of this quagmire of COVID. So is the PCR test the only way 
an unvaccinated person can demonstrate they're not ill or infectious. No, it's it's not the only way. So uh, there is the nasal PCR test and the oral PCR, oral antigen test. But again, they should only be used in acutely sick people to, to rule in disease, to diagnose disease. United States, we recently had approval of a limited sequencing test, again, as a diagnostic aid to diagnose some of COVID-19. To, to demonstrate immunity, uh, what one needs is to have a clinical history of having COVID-19. So being sick in the past with a positive test, that's good enough. If they're unsure, but there's a positive antibody test on one of the major lab platforms, you know, Roche, Abbott, Orthoclinical Diagnostics, Quest, those are all good enough. You hit a positive on that, that indicates immunity. And then we have a recent test in the United States called the T-Detect test, which one can order online, get approved by the medical director, go to a major laboratory office, LabCorp, get the blood drawn, and that actually looks for T-cell changes that confer immunity. So if it's a clinical diagnosis of COVID, that person is good to go. Should not be vaccinated, should not be vaccinated. Higher rates of vaccine complications and no clinical benefit. These individuals were excluded from clinical trials because the FDA and the vaccine manufacturers knew they couldn't benefit. Now we have data suggesting they're harmed by the vaccine. Even a, a COVID recovery patient can come point blank with a, a hot COVID patient and in fact not get the virus. That's been shown recently in Cleveland Clinic data. And so what we really need is we need to confer who has immunity in Australia, who's still susceptible and protect the seniors individuals over age 50, multiple medical problems, nursing home workers and others, and then have the country glide through this epidemic. When you open up, I know you have a lot of migrant workers. You have some people who'll be living in vertical households, maybe some more carotid conditions. There's gonna be some COVID, but the epidemic is burning out. Every successive strain is weaker and Delta looks like a powder puff. It's gonna be easy to treat. But again, gets back to the, uh, the authorities here and the government, how they're absolutely ramping up the advertising or propaganda. Whereas with the US, it seems to be wide open. Your wife went to um, Canada, AKA Russia, and uh, you, can, you can see what's happening. I mean, why the US, why is the US leading the way in saying enough's enough, let's get some common sense. Well, the United States still leads the world in terms of research. So a lot of original research is, is done here, uh, but we do have an independent spirit. Fortunately, we had enough independent physicians to really break away from uh, the mainstream narrative of no treatment. Uh, we also raised a lot of questions early regarding the vaccines, and I'm glad we did because we uncovered really a lot of problems with them. I think Australia ought to follow a path similar to Japan. Japan is actually very skeptical of the vaccines. They've had a low uptake in some of the highest risk seniors, which I think is appropriate. And I think all the countries could get away with a narrow band of vaccination only in those at the highest risk with the safest vaccines. Remember, vaccines were never applied to be a treatment. We don't blanket vaccines across populations. We're going to get in trouble. There is a recent analysis from Neeson et al. from uh, Boston and the Mayo Clinic demonstrating vaccination is narrowing the diversity of the virus. So when this happens, we're fooling with Mother Nature. We don't know what's going to happen out of it, but we've already seen Delta be born out of India, now Lambda being born out of Peru. We're hoping that they're going to be successively less virulent or less deadly of viral strains. But in my view, we really should just have the vaccine program be very selective. It clearly should not be mandatory. Individuals at lower risk should just return to normal activity and be, be, be prepared to treat COVID-19 
if they present with severe symptoms or if it lands in a high-risk person. Interesting, you mentioned uh, Japan, Tokyo Olympics just around the corner. Um, the, uh, the word is that there'll be no spectators, just the, uh, the athletes and the authorities wearing the mask, of course, except when they perform. Uh, then you have um, uh, CPAC in the US with um, Donald Trump and you know, closed room, 4,000 people inside. Uh, just an entirely different, different attitude. It's, um, what's your thoughts just before we wind this up on, uh, on the Olympics and, and, and no, no spectators, which is going to be bizarre? Well, currently, New York and Tokyo have about the same number of cases per day. The difference is in New York, they've achieved herd immunity. The virus isn't going to go very far. In Japan, they haven't. They have a large susceptible population who's elderly. So I don't disagree with this idea of not having uh, Japanese uh, citizens, particularly elderly ones in the stadium. To me, that seems wise. Now, there are a ton of people coming to Japan anyway. There's all the support people, all the press. We know that the Olympians are encouraged to get the vaccine, but they don't have to. And they're estimated to have about 80% penetration of vaccination. And it's going to be a variety of vaccines. So it'll be Sputnik from Russia. It'll be uh, the Coronavac from South America and India. It'll be AstraZeneca, Pfizer, and J&J from uh, America and the EU and Canada. So it's going to be a blend of vaccines. None of them are perfect. There's going to be some COVID at the Olympics, for sure. Japan's going to have a little rise, but it's going to be manageable. They have favipiravir there. They use other drugs very skillfully. And what the Japanese citizens and visitors should know is COVID-19 is treatable. We can get through this. Natural immunity is way better than vaccine immunity. And if they were really interested, they'd be screening patients for natural immunity and not have such a big focus on the vaccine. After talking to you, I said this is the last question before. This is the last question. I'll let you get to your run. But just, I mean, have, have you seen such hysteria over, over a, a virus which only had a limited lifespan anyway? Uh, and the hysteria is not, well, it wasn't from the general populace. It was from, from government that were creating this hysteria and a great way of just shutting you down. I mean, stay inside your apartment or your house for four to six weeks. You know, you can't go to the gym. You can't go outside unless you're doing a quick walk. One to the shopping centre now, not the whole family. I mean, all these, all these rules and regulations, from a medical point of view, you know, if, if I was a student and I said that to you and I wanted to be a doctor, would you encourage me to try maybe being a mechanic or something? Well, I can tell you as an internist and cardiologist, I wish there was a hysteria about, uh, you know, a low fat diet and mm. not smoking and people jogging and exercising. Uh, you know, the public health agencies work for the public. They make recommendations. They serve doctors and others with data, but they in no way issue rulings. The United States, the CDC says, eat less than 10 percent of our calories in sugar and saturated fat. No, that, that's not a ruling. That's not an order. And if you don't do it, you're going to go into lockdown or be put in jail. Our public health agencies have stepped far beyond their authority at this point in time. It's the will of the people. Australians and Americans have the, have the choice to live as they should. And our public health agencies simply don't have that authority. This background of fear has led into them having a giant overreach and a growth of their perceived authority, which has really gotten out of control. Dr. Peter McCullough, thank you very much. Thank you.